Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. Tonight I'm joined by Matt Santangelo, Raphael Jukovin and Tom Serra. Thanks for joining me guys. Pleasure to be on. Great. So tonight we're going to start with uh, the biggest games from the weekend and um, the first one was an absolute thriller. Uh, Inter starting their season with a 4-3 win against Fiorentina. Two late goals to win that game. What did you make of uh, Conte's Inter, Rafa? Well, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't extrapolate too much out of that performance because they were coming up against what looks to be really a rejuvenated uh, Fiorentina side. I think they were caught out a lot on the, on the break by Fiorentina, especially by, uh, by Ribery on the left-hand side. He was, he was having a great game in terms of uh, playmaking. And... Yeah, I mean, essentially what won them the game was Conte's substitutions. I mean, you look at you look at the way Alexis Sanchez uh, just brought the spark, really. He changed the game as soon as it came on. He gave, I mean, it was both assists. And I think even though the performance on paper, at least in the first sort of 70, 70 odd minutes, wasn't, uh, wasn't stellar for Inter, especially especially in terms of the defence. I think the fact that they have got just so much strength and depth means that they can sort of dig themselves out of these situations. And even if they haven't, they're not performing that well in a, you know, in a crucial game like that, they can still, they can still get, well, get a result, get a pretty impressive result out of it. So I think what it does show is that they can win, not ju- they can win even in a difficult situation. So it could, be. I think that sort of performance does show that it could be there. Yeah. yeah what What are your thoughts on it, Matt? Um, do Do you think that um, a win, a win of this sort do, does sort of show that perhaps they're making strides to to overtake Juventus this year? And and how do you rate the business that Inter have done, go, going for experience rather than the likes of Tonali and Kumbula in the end? Um, I think a test like this early on in the season is important for a team like Inter for them to kind of. Uh, you know, build some scars, if you will, take a couple, a little bit of a beating, but don't break necessarily as we saw in this game where they kind of had a really scratch and claw to get the result they needed. Um, whereas with a team like Milan, where, you know, they have a couple easier, lighter opponents to start heading into that derby. So I think there's, you know, in a way, I think it's something that could benefit Inter having a match of this magnitude and this result, something that kind of already tests the resolve of the team. Um, so, so, so good on them to get the result despite some of the, uh, the, the pressuring situation that they were dealt with from Fiorentina and Ribéry, of course, another great start to the season. If he can stay healthy, I think Fiorentina are going to be uh, you know, reaping the benefits of a player that we all know still has plenty left in the tank. But um, as far as their market's concerned, I think you know, it, it, time will tell, right? I think they're putting all their eggs in one basket in terms of winning the title. You know, Conte was almost going to leave. He, they decided to kind of stay together. So you put that together with the players that they did add and retain, of course, uh, Alexis Sanchez being one of them. And, you know, it's all going to come down to whether or not they win the title. If they win the title, no one's going to have any sort of doubts or discredit them or you know, have any concerns as far as their market's concerned. So when I look up and down this team, I think this team is definitely built to win a Scudetto to compete with Juve and be the anti-Juve. But ultimately, we all see this with with Conte sides over the years is that there's always seems to be some sort of part in the season where they uh, you know, stumble a bit. They drop some points where they shouldn't. And ultimately, we all know a team like Juve 
doesn't really have those moments all that often. So that's going to be the biggest factor here. But initially what I've seen from Inter, I think they're a team that has the strong character. And I think that the squad itself is built to last until the very end. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see how they go. As, as you say, they do seem to have put it all into winning Serie A this season. And so they, their main contenders are the defending champions, Juventus. They had a tricky match over the weekend, twice falling behind, went down to 10 men, eventually pulling out a two-all draw away at Roma. What did you make of the game, Tom? Um, and what do you think we learned about Pirlo's Juventus this weekend? So I think we could look at it uh, two ways. So when we look at, in a positive light, if we look at this game, we can definitely see that Juventus showed character and mental strength to come back from losing situation, you know, when they were down to a red card. And that is definitely a characteristic of a strong champion team. However, when we look at uh, the way they were playing, uh, I think we can see that Pelo's tactics are very different to Sarri's. So when even when they conceded uh, the goals, and when we look at Mkhitaryan's massive chance uh, one-on-one, Juventus were very organised in defence. However, they lack the versatility that maybe Sarri offered. So, you know, I know that Juventus are trying to play more creative football. However, um, lacking that versatility may be you know, they may be paying, that's the price they are paying to, you know, play that kind of wide, you know, creative football that is, you know, in the relationship where the attackers and the uh, midfielders is free-flowing. Free but I, what really, you know, uh, struck my eye was the unnecessary challenge from Rabio. It just seems a bit of a liability in midfield. It was very unnecessary, the red card. However, he's still relatively young. He's only 25, so, you know, he can mature. He's got, like, time to mature. Yeah, and w- what about you, Rafa? Um, uh, Pirlo's Juventus got a lot of praise, actually, the previous week against Sampdoria. This was maybe a bit more of a reality check against one of the better sides in the league. Um, what sort of areas in the Juventus side do you think are weak? And and what do you think for Roma as well after a difficult week for them where they had to forfeit a match after an administration error? Was this a bit more positive for them or, or a missed opportunity given the positions they had during the game? Uh, I think in terms of the positions which um, which I'd pick out for you, they, in the Sampdoria game, uh, people were raving about the, the way the midfield was playing, how... Um, how you had Ramsey and McKenney just putting in massive performances. This time around, it was a bit different. Um, pretty much up until the red card, you know, you, you remember were, well, the Juventus were overrunning, or were being overrun in midfield. I think the um, the fact, well, the fact that Jekyll was back for Roma made a massive difference. The fact that he was able to be used as a sort of focal point in the attack to sort of set off um, so, so they could set up on the counter made a massive difference for them and I think I think this was you know this 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 was this is a bit different for Juventus and again it, they showed their they showed the, the value of having strength and depth when they could bring on they could bring on Arthur it made a massive difference and sort of changed the entire dynamic of the midfield even though they were down to 10 men so 
I think Pirlo will have a lot to think about in terms of how he structures his midfield. I think I wouldn't say I wouldn't say Rabiot would is any sort of liability because he's 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 the sort of he's a sort of player who who can break the lines from midfield, who can pick out great passes, even if he has got that sort of immature side to himself. But that's I think that's just going to be a feature of his play throughout his career. Like sort of, that was that was the case at PSG. It's going to be the case for for a while to come. And I think for Roma, yeah, they will be revealed, relieved to have had to just to, just to put a respectable performance in after that sort of nightmare week. Um, I think it does bode well for them uh, in the sort of sort of the weeks to come that they can just sort of get a grip on things again. Yeah, and I think um, yeah, it will be will be interesting to see what happens with Roma moving forwards because there seems to be a lot still going on behind the scenes there, and maybe a bit of pressure build, building on Fonseca. Okay, so we're now going to move on to Napoli, who have been Juve's biggest challengers in recent seasons, but then dipped last year. But Gennaro Gattuso has really got them back on track. They pulled a six nil win out the bag. Matt, do you think that Napoli? could mount a title challenge this year or will it be about them getting back into the top four and perhaps building a title challenge for the following season? Well, obviously they want to get back in the top four. They're a team that's always been the closest to Juve, but they've a team that's been, when they have the opportunity to be in the Champions League, you'll make some noise. You'll obviously do really well in the group stages. We all know what they were able to do against Liverpool and PSG in recent years. So they're a team that has the personnel to, to make some noise, to do some things well in the Champions League. So that's obviously an objective. But if I'm looking up and down their roster and I look at just this game specifically, I think what we're seeing is a lot more players could be utilized this season, right? And I think that's something that could really bode well for Gennaro Gattuso, who uh, came into the season midway last year, obviously helped him with the Copa Italia over Juve. So he's already a, a fan favorite amongst the, the, fan, the, the Napoli fans themselves. But also I think he's a, a coach that, it had, was able to get a really good reaction from Milan when he was the coach there. They were only one point out the Champions League a couple seasons ago. And then what I saw on the weekend in the 6-0 trumping of, um, of Genoa was that he can change his formations, right? Four, he's always been a 4-3-3 guy. Um, obviously going with a 4-2-3-1 here. He had Fabian and Zielinski in the double pivot. And then that attack was explosive. I think, you know, when you have Lozano, who really wasn't utilized all that much last year under Ancelotti in year one, then you throw Mertens in behind and Insignia, who, who did get injured. But you see those three together with Gallic Victor Osman, who, who they're expecting a lot from. And this you can see why this team is very exciting and it has, is maybe a team that could fly under the radar for a lot of the season because of what's been going on with Juve, what's been going on with Inter and even Milan. So I don't think we can completely uh, throw Napoli out of the equation as far as challenging for the title. If the stars align, if they're able to stay healthy, that is. Plus, I think, you know, the fact that Koulibaly is most likely going to stay after what we heard from Manchester City is a, as an, as a, a shot in the arm. It's almost like an addition that really he never left, but it's almost like, OK, we're having our guy who on his day and when he's going well is one of the top two, three best in his position in world football. So overall, I think Napoli are really well positioned. I don't know if they're going to make many more additions in the market. But overall, the way I see their squad is it's really balanced. It's well-structured. They can attack you to death. And I'm excited to see how far they can really press on with Gattuso as coach because I think, you know, everyone could be possibly forgetting about how close they were a couple seasons ago. And they have, for the most part, a very similar framework, minus Alan, of course. So 
we'll have to wait and see how Napoli is able to maneuver through the, uh, the season. But overall, a statement victory over Genoa, who, um, you know, a team that many people aren't, you know, kind of sold on. But if you look at their squad, I think they have a lot more to offer than some of the newly promoted sides. Yeah, it seems that Napoli certainly have much more in their arsenal now uh, since since the turn of the year, really, under Gattuso. So we'll have to see how they crack on for the rest of the year. Another team who were very entertaining again on the weekend, as they always are. We saw the return of Atalanta. They won 4-2 against Torino. Possibly could have been more, actually. What did you make of them, Rapper? And again, similar to Napoli, do you think it will be about making the top four for them? Or could they actually win Syria? I still think, I mean, Inter and Juve are pretty much just veering ahead in terms of um, in terms of the likelihood of winning a, a winning title. But I think Atalanta are going to continue on this on just the sort of form they were showing in the last uh, last ten or so games of the season uh, last year. Uh, we saw we saw in the in the game game against Torino, you know, Papu Gomez, for example, is still just still, still just a scintillating player. The, 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 the passes he can pick out and just the sort of the playmaking ability that he has is really just going to make them tick and it's going to make them, is they're going to they're gonna be able to just probably push for uh, another top four position. I think essentially the, um, I think sort of the crux for Atalanta is whether they can sort of erase those off performances that they had throughout the season last year that ultimately I think cost them the title. And they lost to them. I think they, they lost to Spal at home, for example, back in uh, back in January. That was sort of that just wasn't a characteristic performance. And I think if if they can, if they can sort of build up a, a level of consistency, then who knows that. They'll definitely, they'll definitely perform against the big teams. They've, they've got some big games coming up, like against Lazio tomorrow, and you, you know they're gonna, you know, you know they're gonna, they're gonna give them the game because they, they do, they just perform on the big occasions. So I think for them, the yeah, whether they can sort of string that across to to the whole season is uh, is the question. Yeah, I think the the worry with them sometimes over the summer break is that they lose a couple of players but this summer they've only lost Castagna so far that seems to be probably their only um, loss of the summer and with Papu Gomez playing so well I think most people thought he was a bit unlucky not to win Serie A MVP last year he was exceptional on the weekend so it seems we can't rule them out okay Matt I'm going to come back to you because we're going to move on to Milan next they picked up another 2-0 win on the weekend their second of the season so far uh, this was without Ibrahimovic, and Pioli also rotated a little bit. Um, do you think they were very positive signs? And, and how do you expect Milan to uh, play out this season, moving back into the top four for you? Um, that's the goal, right? I think you know every, all eyes have been on getting into the top four. That's been the goal since I think 2013-2014 season, last time they were featuring in the tournament. Um, the result itself, I think it's, you know, you looked at the schedule when it came out and you looked at the first three matches, Bologna, Crotone, and Spezia, and you thought this, these got to be three victories for Milan. No questions asked. If they want to get into the Champions League, you have to get off to a strong start. And a team that's notoriously slow starting 
Um, it was very helpful to see these names on the sheet, but of course you still have to get the job done. And we know Milan tend to struggle out of the gate. So to get these two victories all so far, um, and then they got Spezia, the international break, and then of course they got the big match against Inter. Yes, there are some things that need to be worked on. Yes, I expected myself that there was going to be some struggles or some slight issues maybe with breaking down a team of Crotone who uh, put numbers behind the ball. They weren't afraid to, to absorb. And at some points, it looked as though that Milan were struggling in that regard. But at the end of the day, they were able to get beyond that. Brahim Diaz with a goal, uh, Frank Kessia with a penalty. So they got the result they wanted without Ibrahimovic, who, who caught COVID. So he's in quarantine. He's going to be out for a little longer. Um, and, and of course, uh, Ante Rebic picked up a, a, an injury. So it's kind of showed us that maybe Milan do have some slight depth issues when they do lose one or two main guys in that eleven. But in any case, what I have seen from this squad under Pioli really since, since January when they've been sensational is they often have like a next one up mentality with the guy who comes off the bench or who steps in for someone who is injured. Um, you know, even Rebic, you know, he didn't really look that great in the performance before he left. But at the end of the day, he did earn the penalty and he fought for a lot of those, those free balls. So overall, I think it was a performance that showed that Milan does have a lot of promise and potential when it does come to fruition and it does eventually mesh. Raheem Diaz, Tonali came into the game really well. Um, you know, you look at Frank Kessie, who you who spoke about him being kind of the president of the team, a very leader-like player, which I don't think many people thought he was. Teo Hernandez, you look at the actual squad dynamic that Milan are building, and it's a team that you feel is um, built to last. They do have some longevity in there. They do have the legs. They do have the mentality and the character to stay in this for the long run. Ultimately, though, I think it's going to come down to whether or not they can keep Ibrahimovic upright, they can keep him healthy and on the field um, in between all these Europa League tra- uh, traveling uh, travels that they got going on for them. So the, the, the final week of the market is going to be telling. They're trying to get a couple more players in. We, you're obviously seeing what's going on with that um, the Norwegian town, Hauji, who they, who they played uh, last week, who really impressed them. So they're going to get another winger there. They're also looking probably in the midfield and maybe another fullback. So I don't think Milan's done. And ultimately, once everything comes together and we head into that maybe international break, I think we'll start to see what Milan can be, project them in a much better light, and ultimately you know, position them a little bit more with accuracy um, than we can the first couple games because we all do know that Bologna and Crotone are pretty lighter opponents. Yeah, and so as we've seen, it's been a fascinating few months to follow Milan. Um, there was a the whole debacle over whether Pioli would stay or if Ralph Ranić would come in and sort of revolutionise the team. What do you make of that situation? Are you happy that Pioli stayed and are, are you confident that he will be the right manager for, for the long term? And and what do you make of Milan's um, summer acquisitions, obviously bringing in Tonali and Brahim Diaz? And so they do seem to have gone you know, the way of bringing in a couple of very solid signings rather than trying to, you know, make a whole host of signings as they, as they have done in previous windows. I was, I, I could see where there's a lot of issues with keeping Pioli because, you know, his, his track record doesn't really show a lot of stability, a manager that can keep a job for multiple years on end. You know, he was able to do at Lazio. He was a pretty decent manager there. Inter, he started off pretty strong, and then it kind of fell apart. And then Fiorentina, he had to deal with the, um, the, the death of the untimely passing of Davide Astori. So there was a lot of things that kind of maybe played into his, his um, dismissals at his previous, his previous employers. But the reaction we saw from him when he took the job at Milan, 
Um, and this was even before, right? Because there, I think everyone was, you know, purely out when this guy ain't the manager we need. We need to get Luciano Spalletti, who was a target for them. And I think for me, the fact that he got such a reaction and he had such a great restart post-COVID, um, it was really telling. And I think, you know, I can see why people wanted Ralph Radnick because they heard so much about our possible revolution he can bring. But I think in this summer, as we're seeing with, you know, spending being a little bit more um, tighter, and just the simple fact that the season's a quicker turnaround, I think it would have been awfully difficult for Milan to bring in a guy like Ragnick, have him gut the team, you know, get his guys, you know, have his staff, and then to keep everything moving because Milan don't have the luxury of time to allow Ralph Ragnick to get instill his ideas, his philosophy, his system. And if they got a slow start and they were, you know, 10th, 11th in the table to begin the season, then the pressure would have been mounting already on a, on a guy that you – entrusted with everything to get Milan back to where they needed to be. So I understand both sides of it. And for me, I think sticking with Pioli was the right choice because I think that ultimately led to Ibrahimovic renewing, uh, Maldini staying as the technical director, which he's done a really good job with, uh, and, and some of the other additions that he has made, uh, Tonali, Ibrahim Diaz, you know, leveraging that relationship that they have with Real Madrid. So I think that he's doing a really good job overall. It's ultimately time will tell to see how he does the rest of the season. Um, if it was just maybe some sort of spark or reaction he got from the squad last season, or if he is a manager that can at least provide a couple of years of stability to get Milan back into the Champions League as sort of a bridge, bridge the gap type, type manager. But overall, I don't think many Milan fans are really upset because at the end of the day, winning cures Hall, right? If they're winning games and they're climbing up the table and they're in the conversation to finish top four, no one's going to be second-guessing the decision to go with Pioli over Ragnick. Yeah, it, it promises to be an intriguing season for Milan. Um, obviously, haven't been in the Champions League for quite some time now, so whether they can get back in the top four or not will be fascinating to see. Okay, I just want to then touch on the final sort of European contender and, and a team that actually pushed in the title race for most of last season. Lazio had their first game of the season, beat uh, Cagliari 2-0, on the weekend, Tom, what what did you what do you make of Lazio this season? Can they get in the title picture again? Um, and do you think they've strengthened sufficiently to challenge both, uh, or, or at least do well both domestically and in Europe? Yeah, it was a they had a great start uh, on the weekend. You know, they won a one must win game. Kragner for Cagliari was great in goal. He had amazing performance, and it could honestly have been much more. And I think it's a great way to, you know, bounce back because at the end of last season, the summer, they pretty much collapsed the title cha uh, challenge. So, you know, this is a great way to, you know, bounce back. Mobile seemed very sharp in front of goal. He had so many chances and also scored in the game, actually. So, uh, yeah, it was a very promising uh, start. In terms of, you know, challenging for the title, it's going to be very difficult. I think even just challenging for Europe it's going to be difficult because you know we've got Juventus, Napoli, Milan as well they're all you know really pushing for the title and it feels slightly that Lazio haven't strengthened as much in a way especially at the back so it's going to be very difficult for them to challenge for the title I feel maybe even for Europe we'll see I mean it was a great performance a great way uh, to start the season I remember we, they started last season really well as well, but yeah, only time will tell. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, now I want to move to the other end of the table. And we've already seen quite a few teams who look like they could be in for a long season. Uh, Rafa, I want to come to you first to talk about Sampdoria. Um, they were 2-0 up early on against Benevento, ended up losing 3-2. Uh, last season, Ranieri came in and did a good job to keep them up with a bit to spare in the end. But do you fear that they could be dragged into a relegation dogfight this year? I definitely think they will be. Um, I think the signs were starting to show at the end of last season. Uh, it's sort of become a full-blown full blown issue now when we're good in the way that just how disorganised their defence is. Um, I'll pick out one one example from the game. Uh, I think it was Omar Polly who uh, just out of nowhere did a back pass for the, for the Benevento player. Who uh, on that occasion missed, but it just shows a complete sort of breakdown in uh, in just just the defensive coherence of Sampdoria, which is surprising, really, of a Ranieri team. But I think you know their, their major their major sort of facet will be their their attack. The fact they have got Andrea in who has who's already delivered an assist as well. Um, she, was, she was clearly going to be able to sort of serve, um, serve her Pagliarella and, and Bonazzoli. So, will you know? Will it be enough to sort of outweigh the defensive issues? Uh, I'm not sure because obviously it's better than it didn't, it didn't work out that way. But yeah, like I was saying, I think I think we will see them basically just within that sort of relegation dogfight. I don't think they've got what it takes to really kick on from, from last season. Yeah, it does, does seem it's going to be a tough year for Sampdoria, who um, they've also lost some key players. This, this moves quite nicely into Torino, who have actually bought got a couple of Sampdoria's players in Linetti and Muru. Uh, I want to come to you, Matt, for this. Um, Giampaolo not got off to a good start. Um, he did well at Sampdoria uh, during his spell there. Obviously, had a disastrous time at Milan. Do you think that perhaps that whole debacle has made him lose his mojo? Because he already seems to be under a bit of pressure at Torino, who quite possibly could be struggling again this year. It's hard to say. I think one of the biggest things that we know that I noticed early on when he was at Milan is that initially he he just completely abandoned his formation. He lacked. He lacked confidence in his in, in what got him that job, essentially. Um, whether or not he deserved it is one another conversation. But I think he's got to get back to his roots. What made him, you know, a quality manager? What earned him the respect at Sampdoria? Um, I think the one the biggest thing that we're going to find here with him is that is he is is he able to um, get out of the out of the starting gate in a favorable position? Because we know how quickly managed uh, owners are quick to ax managers if they don't, you know, get off to the proper start, right? And I think, you know, conversely, we saw what happened in Cagliari last year, right, who were one of the hot starters, a team that, you know, looked like they were in the conversation for Europa League with the Rolando Moran, and then he got axed. So I think there's going to be a relatively long, medium leash, if you will, with, with Giampaolo for the simple fact is I think that there is a, a decent amount of quality there, and I don't think uh, Urbano Cairo is going to be uh, accepting of, of uh, a really s a scary season or a regression from what they were because they were building in a positive direction under Matsari. To see them kind of fall off and cascade the way they have, 
um, with the, with the, with the players they do have on their on their roster. Of course, you mentioned getting Lanetti, and who knows if they're able to get a guy like Lucas Torreira, which I think is maybe too expensive for them. I, I think time will tell. I think he just has to stick to what he knows as a manager. Maybe play it more simple. And of course, I don't think we can react too much to the to the early start of the season. Although, again, it does look um, like it could be a, another one where they're. Uh, battling for mid-table and, you know, hopefully can maybe, you know, make, make some noise and, and have a good second half at least. Because I think that's what's going to be telling about this Serie A season specifically is I feel, in my opinion, there's probably four to five teams that can be in that relegation conversation. And then there's going to be so much mix up and, and up and down from the 10 spots down. Yeah, I think uh, obviously Torino, Gianpaolo deserves a bit of time. He has come up against Fiorentina and Atalanta, so mm-hmm. a tough start for him. Um, a third team who've got a new manager in place, again, haven't started well, is Parma. They've got a Liverani now, um, who was obviously at Lecce last year, who were entertaining but ultimately relegated. Parma were thrashed last night 4-1 by Bologna. Tom, do you think... Um, they could possibly be dragged into a relegation battle. And are, are we now seeing how much of a loss Kulusevski is, given how important he was to the team last year? So, yeah, I mean, definitely Kulusevski is uh, definitely a big loss. But I think I feel a lot of people are focusing on Kulusevski. However, I really felt that um, against Bologna, they were just lacking leadership at the back and just strength and they just committed a lot of errors and the decision making was very poor. And we just compare like, for example, other relegation candidates, for example, um, Benevento, uh, who were able to win over the weekend. They have like leaders like Calderola and Glick at the back. And I feel that Palmer lacked that kind of strength from behind that, you know, that could provide that kind of stability because I feel like relegation candidates need to have a stable base on which they could build their attack. And at the moment, they, you know, they've got 38-year-old Bruno Alves at the back, who is probably past it. And and DeMarco as well just seemed to lack sharpness, you know, when needing to close players down. So I think Palmer just really need to strengthen their back, you know, stop conceding and then sort of work their way up the pitch. But yeah, Def Kulusevsky is still a big loss, but yeah, uh, they have problems in defence as well. Yeah, it was quite alarming how easily Bologna broke them down at times last night. Uh, two other obvious relegation candidates are teams that have come up this season, Crotone and Spezia. Um, Rafa, what, what are your thoughts on them? Do you give either of them a prayer of staying up this year or, or do you think they're just going to go straight back down to Serie B? I think that'll be the case of Spezia. Um, so they, you know, they started off, they came out the gates all right against them. Some swallow, but ultimately they just they crumble, and it doesn't really look like they've got enough to to sort of, to sort of do much in the way of um in the way of a challenge to stay up. I think Crotone is a bit different. I think they've got. I think what they showed against Milan, especially in the first half, was that they are they are at least um, a cohesive defensive unit, which will definitely help them in the long run. I think another aspect. Also, of um, so the lineup is their striker, Simon Weinfeld, who he, you know, he, he didn't he didn't offer as much as um, as much as they would have liked against against Milan, obviously. But he did score, you know, he did score twenty goals last season in Serie B. He 
he's he's got he's got a great sort of um, he's great as a sort of focal point to sort of take the pressure off the defence and he's got he's got the great um, and great forward as well. He's got a great finishing touch. So I think hopefully he does get off the mark in Syria soon enough because I've I've, I've got high hopes for him. I think if if they are to stay up, it is going to be him who who sorts who sort of makes the difference. Yeah, it seems like seems like we're going to have about half a dozen candidates for those bottom three places. So, so it'll be interesting to see if any of those teams strengthen over the final week of the transfer window. Okay, final final part of the show. I just want to ask you, Matt. Uh, we've got some midweek games, and then we've got a full weekend of action. What what are the upcoming games you re- really looking out for that that you think could could be some great contests? I think obviously Lazio Atalanta is a great one midweek. Um, Definitely to highlight for sure. We all know that Lazio are a team that qualified for Champions League with Atalanta, a team uh, with Lazio who are trying to get a couple more deals over the line, uh, specific Andres Pereira. So they are trying to reinforce and um, respond to the ultras who are a little bit more um, you know, ang- angry with uh, Lotito for being a little bit at- not as active as they probably want for a team that is returning to the Champions League. Um, obviously, we know Atalanta is capable of their uh, aesthetically pleasing to watch. So if you're even not I'm a Calcio fan, but you're someone who just admires good football. I think there's someone um, in midweek that you're definitely going to want to tune into. Um, th- that's probably one of the, the main ones. I think for me, you can obviously go down the line and see who else is playing. Um, Sassuolo team, I think that many people aren't giving too much attention to. I, I, don't, I wouldn't say they're Atalanta light, but I think with Deterbi at the helm, and Berardi, Boga still uh, employed. I don't know how long they're going to be able to keep him. And Caputo, who's one of the more underrated productive strikers in Serie A the past couple seasons, I think they're a team that, you know, will turn some heads, maybe a team that can perhaps compete for Europa League spot. I don't know how long they'll be able to stay in it. Um, and then even Udinese Roma. Um, I'm fascinated to see how much Rodrigo de Paul can carry Udinese. Because um, that team, they're a team, I, I, for me, besides him, I just don't see that much in that squad. And frankly, I... I kind of feel for the guy because it seems as though he wants to leave and he's deserving of a big move. So I'm fascinated to see how much he's able to kick on, stay motivated, um, despite maybe not getting the move he desired. Um, those are probably the, the first few I would highlight, aside from just the, the main clubs that everyone kind of tends to lean on. But um, yeah, and then if you want to go into Sunday, which is probably the marquee one, um, you got Juventus-Napoli. So uh, there's plenty on display in round three, and I'm very excited. I'm sure you guys have other ones that you guys are intrigued to watch. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a fascinating one. Uh, what about you, Rafa? You got anything to add to that? Maybe um, some slightly more niche ones for, for, for the weekend uh, coming up? Yeah, I mean, as one of... I guess if I, if I was going to pick out one of the, uh, one of the more low-key games, I would go for Fiorentina-Sampdoria, actually, because I think it'll be interesting to see how a Fiorentina side that was essentially playing on the break against him, to how they'll sort of change their, uh, change their approach, really. See how um, see how they sort of how they approach their their attacks because obviously against Inter the, the main outlet was really getting the ball out to Ribery on the left hand side for him to sort of unleash um, one of their runners from midfield whether that was Castrovilli or or Chiesa for both the goals so it'll be interesting to see how if they um, I mean if if they do if they do go for a more tentative approach like they did against Torino, for example, where they did have to sort of probe until they got the goal, you know, will they be able to do that more effectively? Yeah, it should, should be fa- it should be a fascinating weekend 
again and, and midweek, of course, as we say, Atalanta Lazio does have the potential to be the best of the lot. Okay, well, that brings the end to another great episode. Thanks for joining me, guys, and uh, we'll catch everyone soon. Thanks for listening.